the Podjectivity Network. To the future, love it, give me the news For years past, like an attack Our minds are battered and bruised Our sensibility, civility Pushed right to the edge Things that tip the other way We'd all be out on the ledge But it's okay It's okay, we're all doing fine I've got PTSD We're all in therapy Buying edibles and cases of wine I gained half my body weight Oh, say Sam's little bro. Not the youngest brother with the iguanas in the basement. He loves the Bible but seems pretty cool. It's Papa Joe. Back to the future, love it, give me the news. Four years past like an attack, our minds are battered and bruised. Our sensibility, civility pushed right to the edge. Things that tip the other way, we'd all be out on the ledge. But it's alright, it's okay, we're all doing fine I'm eating noodles for breakfast We're all in therapy, buying edibles and cases of wine I wear my mask in the showers and we oh, all say can you see A new day is dawning And anything is possible Like universal basic income Daylight savings time ending, and a ramp wheel on the Senate floor. We're in good hands with Uncle Sam's little bro. He says folks way too much, but he seems pretty cool. It's Papa Joe. Back to the future, love it, gave me the news. looks very nice okay that's looking pretty good i'm still looking too loud but all that's right okay let's I'll lean back a little let's stop, take over let's stop thinking about levels for a second and address an exciting development in our little podcast world uh one of our members i'm not going to say who it was members. just yet is <laughs> <laughs> well there was there was an assignment that went out on a podcast called love it or leave it uh, hosted by John Lovett. True. Former speechwriter for Barack Obama and uh, has hosted this website, this podcast for how long now do you think he's been at it? Um, I feel like they started right before Trump won. Okay. Okay. So almost a good five years. And guy's really good at what he does, works with a lot of smart, funny people. And they asked for submissions uh, for songwriters to submit things and the prompt was vax to the future right vax to the future because the vaccine for, will yeah. hopefully enable us to have a less annoying state of life than yeah and one of us who's who responded to this challenge 
and submitted something had their song selected and it was played in the most recent episode, which was called? The name of the episode? Yeah. Not sure. Okay, we'll have to look that up and edit it in. But that was that was kind of a big deal for those for the other two that didn't submit it. And we were like, hey, man, that's great. And the person who submitted it was like, eh, you know, let's not get I'm kind of humble, though. The episode was called... Just kidding. It wasn't me. <laughs> that leaves the other it two. It wasn't me either. What it so It was it called be? What Time is the Super Bowl is the name of the episode. Okay. And I do not recall going, eh, <laughs> it was just this and it's... Uh, I did not. I just said, this thing happened. I did this thing. And when and when we freaked out a little bit and we're like, What, dude? Then what did you say? I said I'm so happy that No, you did not. <laughs> mm. You're mm. just not remembering mm. right. No, no. <laughs> what happened was they air just randomly but they things do. that get submitted and it's random and that is true. There's no like merit system and also it's like, true. You know, not he's a, got you, dude. But it's true. You mm. guys don't understand. But they were, play shit, and it's equally funny. You know what I'm saying? They mm. play really well produced stuff, but then they also play shit songs that. Someone just barked into just their phone. Barfed into GarageBand. Yeah. So okay. I think it's just funny on all levels. They go for stuff that's really well produced, and then they go for stuff that's not well produced. But what Dan and I are hearing in that qualifier is an attempt to sort of, you know, deflect a little bit of the attention that you're getting right now, mm. or that you'll get through that, and an acknowledgement that you deserve it. In and, my, and you probably entertain job, a lot of people. I would encourage you, and I encourage everyone in my life, not to shit on themselves so much. That's good advice. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe I do it. I don't know. I doubt I do it. We're Midwestern people, though. As much. So there's a fine line between being self-effacing and and being insecure. But it's us, man. We know what you can do. So just like save all that time. And then I'm like, oh, it's not very good. It's I didn't say <laughs> it's that really it wasn't nothing. very good. It's, it's a little thing. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> That's not what you sounded like. That was not. I didn't good. say, and I never said it's not very good. Okay. It what was awesome. Said, though, what you said, though, is that it, in maybe I'm paraphrasing, but it's no big deal. Oh. Don't get too excited. It was more along those lines. Yes. And what you're not... What you're not allowing other people to do when you take that approach is decide for themselves how how cool it is or isn't. So you want me to just say, hey, this happened. Yeah. What do you think? Well, and maybe you could share how you're also really feeling about it. Like, I'm proud a little bit to be a part of this podcast that I'm a fan of. I think it's a good program and it's cool that they put some of my work in there in my defense i was trying to provide context for it wasn't like a golden globe awaited me it was like these aren't hand selected pieces i wanted to provide context for Mm -hmm. 
the selection process. We which, took her out of context. Which there is no selection process. I wasn't trying to say my song sucked. I liked right. it. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't have sent it. Okay. We were too now hard I on sound you. defensive. We were too hard on you. <laughs> but but there's cause for celebration one way or another, the way I see it. It's really cool that the creative work that you're doing is potentially reaching a, a larger audience and not just the one that we're trying to develop through this project. But, Yay. You know, you're spreading spreading the love. Yes. That's how you find yourself on a and show like that. Maybe. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Keep writing those songs. I will. You can't stop me. Even well, that's if you the, wanted to. That's the thing, like, with creative work, I, I think a little bit. Like, it's one thing for Dan and I to be like, man, I've been... I've been working on my jumper. I think if I keep at this, I might be, I might be able to take the floor with Giannis onto Takumpo if they have an injury and they need a uh, someone to fill in. No, that's never ever ever going to happen at this point. I think we both accepted it. But artistically, like you can keep growing and you can keep doing great stuff, and and. Uh, and there's no reason just because they have more sponsors mm. or they're more well-established that you don't belong, that that's not very natural for your voice to be in the mix with these folks that you look up to. Is there a way to broadcast blushing through the microphone? <laughs> I think it's working. I feel no. embarrassed. You feel me though, Dan? Like there's just because... I don't know what I. Why is it uncomfortable to receive like complimentary comments? Dan? How do you take compliments, Dan? Terribly. You've seen him take compliments. What? what? Whoa. Well, <laughs> let him answer for himself first. I mean, beautifully. You always take compliments <laughs> so well. Um, I'm so how impressed. Would you evalu- how would you evaluate yourself? I'm so yourself impressed with by that? how you how take you, compliments. How would I evaluate my compliment getting game? Giving, receiving. Giving, res- receiving. Well. I try to be pretty effusive with the praise of others. Define uh, effusive for those of us giving who don't have the uh, calendar. Generously giving it away. Mm-hmm. If somebody does a good job, like good job, way to go, mm. nicely done. Mm. Take the day off. You've told me to take the day off a couple times. Put yourself so. down for a raise. <laughs> take the rest of the day off. You earned a new Lamborghini. And great job, kid. Uh, when getting a compliment, harder for you than it's pr- yeah. I probably do a little bit of that stuff. Deflect. Of like, oh, it was nothing. Oh, no. Did Come you do on. that in basketball, too? Oh. In all. Inanswerable. Uh, I was a terrible basketball player. Uh, oh, I can't Compliments were hard to come by. You beat me at horse, so you can't be that bad. Oh, man. No, <laughs> no. The product was not good. I did not get compliments when I played basketball. Hmm. I was in the wrong place. Doing the wrong things. <laughs> uh, no, uh, bad example. How do I take a compliment? That's a tough question. Hmm. You know what basketball game I wish we could have been a part of? Before he passed, the great, great, and you referenced his show earlier <laughs> when we were doing mic checks, and you said, hey now, uh, Gary Shandling liked to hoop, hmm. and he would have pickup games with Sarah Silverman and, you know, Alec Baldwin or whoever was in town, like Sunday games, just a bunch of funny people. I've heard about that. Famous people would would gather on his driveway and hmm. and play hoops. 
You don't see Gary Shandling as like a basketball player. He doesn't. Or an athlete in any, in any, in any way. There's a secret society, Mm -hmm. I feel like, of basketball players. We can come back around to receiving compliments, but it seems like librarians or something where you just meet people and have this weird networking thing at pickup games. And it's just like, if someone's, you, if it's someone you've played with among men, anyways, I don't know any women basketball players, so I can't speak to women, but it just seems like there's a community there, a secret society, a secret society more. Hmm. He's a good, he's a good guy. I played hoops with him. Hmm. Is that false? Uh, the basketball Illuminati. That's Chris. right. Is, is that... it false though? Is that just my idea of what it is? No, I think you're correct. I think there's a there there can be an inclusiveness like if you get hand selected to be part of a special squad. Hmm. Sometimes too that can happen in the basketball world where like the top seniors in Iowa get to audition and if you make the cut you get to travel to Australia and play international competition. That was something that happened. As an example, now I'm being immodest, but in my own past, <laughs> that that felt at the time like, you know, it was a big deal. Was it actually a big deal? You know, did, what does it really mean now, for instance, that I was one of the top basketball prospects in Iowa in 96? Well... Uh, not a whole lot. Hmm. But... True... But it opened up an opportunity for me to see a part of the world that I otherwise otherwise might not have seen. And, you know, I guess I'm still proud of it on some level. And I should be able to talk about that with some pride and without feeling like I'm being a jackass for jerking myself off. Good example, man. Absolutely. It was, it's not the biggest deal, but it was a hand on a rung of a ladder yeah. That had potential. Yeah, and I think it also was where the pride comes in and like where I think you should relate to this with the song that you submitted that got played is it's a reflection of work and dedication to your craft on some level, right? Like you, with intention, wrote this piece and did this thing and it's a reflection of years you've spent learning to play guitar write songs, craft things, do things. And, you know, for me, that selection was a validation of, like, you've honed your game. You've worked on your game. You're, you you belong with this other crowd of guys who, you know, do this well. Why does it feel different performing and getting applause? I feel like I could never get too much applause. You know what I mean? Sure. Never would I say... All right, calm down, calm down, everybody. Take it down and not. I'd be like, because it feels totally different than to have someone come up to you afterwards and say, the way you sang that song, that's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't you guys think? I'm thinking about the thing that Jonathan Overby did that summed this up very well, this duality that we have of wanting to just be like, all right, let's not get crazy and <laughs> and give me more love, please, because I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> and he would, with one hand up here, at the he'd announce the show, and then he he he'd do this with one hand, put them down here. Oh, <laughs> you you have to describe it because yeah, people so, don't know what you're doing. And who's Jonathan Overby? 
Jonathan Overby is the host of Higher Ground on Wisconsin Public Radio. Okay. It used to be like a live old-timey radio show, kind of like Prairie Home Companion-ish, with less sound effects and characters, I suppose. But they would have, it was kind of just a open talent show where everything from mm. a local musical that was coming through or an opera singer that was singing at the overture would stop mm. through, authors, actors, you name it. And, you know, as aspiring singer-songwriters, there was a moment there where we felt like, hey, this could be not only be an interesting performance experience to be on this radio show and this radio program, but Overby would tell you before you went out for the show, you'd be like in this hallway where you'd be staged and waiting to, to get out there. And he'd say something like, just so you guys know, this broadcast reaches 5 million people. <laughs> it wasn't 5 million, but it was some staggering figure, you know, wow. and you're like, okay, I can handle this. So you were on the show? A couple times. Yeah. One time. Oh, my God. One time was when Lita was pregnant with Oliver, and he was getting to know me a little bit, and he found out that I had a, a spouse back at home who was pregnant. He's like, let's give her a call. <laughs> so he rang her up from the studio that's good radio and Lita told me to get milk on my way home <laughs> <laughs> that's great radio <laughs> wow so it was memorable but <laughs> and Overby God help me if he ever hears this and I have to answer for this but this is a juicy little tangent since we might as well he's definitely a listener so please yeah well, yeah. well this is a guy who also hosts every year the Martin Luther King junior celebration at the Capitol where there's gospel choirs and inspirational okay. stuff. And he's just so smooth and he brings music of the world. And and, and this is his voice and, and he's funny <laughs> and he's charming and he sings like the devil and, and, oh. and he's just super smooth. But I played basketball with him once oh my in God. a pickup scenario at the Y and he was a dick. Oh no. <gasps> no. Yeah. But, but but what hmm. it taught me is like, okay, you're going to meet people that have different sides mm-hmm. of themselves and their personality, and that doesn't mean that he's not still a great radio host. And that the job that he's doing promoting Martin Luther King's message every year at the Capitol isn't totally insincere or whatever because he's such an asshole on the basketball floor. Hmm. And maybe that was just one day and I caught him on a bad day. But he was a fucking raging dick on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> was he using his radio voice? No, he was not. That was a foul. <laughs> I don't care what you say. That was a foul. That is what they in Uganda call uh, ball in. <laughs> but wow. I think you know. Let's talk about going back to how you receive compliments how is the level of graciousness with which you accept a compliment connected to your level of self-esteem and confidence Mm. how is it connected right in my in my opinion what i've observed the more confident a person is the more gracious they are and able to Mm. you know just take a compliment as it's given because and not confident. try and yeah and not try and you know make it awkward or poo poo it or deflect it or you know they can they can handle it 
is what I'm saying in a sense. And not leaving you going, there is nothing harder than giving you a compliment. For God's <laughs> sakes. That's all I'm trying to do here. Can you please forget it? I'm giving you love. Can you just take the love hmm. kind of thing? Uh, and Why do you think it is a Midwestern thing, though, to, to deflect and to... It's religious to a degree. You know, we're we're mm. we're programmed to be so ashamed of ourselves as original sinners and whatnot. That's mm-hmm. got to factor in. So and like, oh, don't don't be too too impressed. I'm just a lowly sinner, and it's a weird dynamic in the kitchen too. Because I've seen women. Well, I don't want to generalize women. I've seen some women serve food, need the compliment, but then deflect the compliment. So mm. like. Or apologize for it muffins. as they're putting out. Yeah. If you don't compliment those muffins, there will be some passive aggressive shit happening. It's going to go down. When you get the compliment, oh, these muffins are delicious. Man. Oh, granny. And then they're, yeah, oh, they're I just, overproved. I just threw those together and I didn't have enough blueberries. So I just used a pinch of cinnamon instead. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, so it's weird. There's like a hunger there. They want it. They need an inability it. to graciously just be like, you're right. They're fucking delicious. <laughs> right. Like, Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. Eat up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have, here, have another one. Yeah. That's a really weird dynamic, too. But I'm thinking, too, of Brad Pitt when he accepted, I think it was for an Oscar, and he finally got an Oscar, right? Didn't he? Right. Right. And the first thing he said was like, I'm going to put this on my Tinder profile, which is so self-deprecating and hilarious. And I love that, too, because, you know, he's confident. I think he went with his mom, too. At this point. What did he win an Oscar for? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, that Support was an actor. I that was the one. So. I think so. Yeah. Booyah. And to be able to do that on a big, just poke fun of your personal life on a big stage like that. Mm-hmm. I found that to be so endearing and wonderful. Because you know he knows he's hot shit. He, he knows yeah. it. That's a that's an interesting uh, platform to see. You know, like just because you're a major name or a big star, that doesn't mean you're secure. Yeah. You know, and ooh, yeah, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Often, yeah. it reminds me of a. I I read a memoir of an astronaut mm-hmm. called Riding Rockets, and this guy was. Funnier than any astronaut has any right to be. He was funny. And he made all sorts of, he had these anecdotes that were pretty funny, but then telling mm-hmm. at the end that relates to this. So he comes back from space and they're invited to the Super Bowl. And they're going to trot him out there and be like, hey, these people were just in space. Mm. And Billy Joel was singing the halftime oh my God. show, doing the halftime show that year. And he was married to Christy Brinkley at the time. And the story goes that Christy Brinkley was going down the line of the astronauts and shaking their hands. And he was like, I didn't go to space and back to get a fucking handshake from the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm going in for a hug Uh. in front of her husband. Fuck it. And he went in and he got the hug. And and then he went to shake Billy Joel's hand and he made a point of noting, didn't say anything too overtly shady or disrespectful, but didn't get eye contact. Whoa. Mm. Oh, my God. And uh, eye contact is another thing related to confidence, just like I think your ability to accept a compliment. It's communicating to another person that you're secure in yourself enough mm-hmm. to to hold, to let them see you. I have a lot to say about eye contact. but Mike I... Mullane. Ooh. Riding Rockets. Riding Rockets. Oh. Book by Mike Mullane. 
Wow, fascinating. What do you guys think about... Outrageous Tales of a Space Shuttle Astronaut, a 2006 book by a retired astronaut. Yeah, interesting. What a story. Hmm. Hmm. Billy Joel. Daggers. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think about bringing lists up to receive awards Mm. and reading from a Instead of speaking from your heart? Yeah, what do you think? Oof. Boy. I think it's... It's it's sweet if it's the case that you just don't want to make a point of not forgetting people mm-hmm. that made a meaningful contribution to your journey. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see that happening. One of the, I'm sorry, I'm Mr. Fucking Tangent tonight, but this is. It's, oh my god, he just pulled a list out of his pocket. He's going to read it right now. <laughs> I've got a list of anecdotes about this. <laughs> my uncle got nominated and inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sweet. That's a thing. Uncle Wally. No, Uncle Kevin. God. It's okay. Bless it. Wrong brother. Mm. But in his acceptance speech, there was a bunch of family there, and he thanked all of us and not his wife. Ooh. Oh, wow. Ouch. <laughs> and fortunately, his wife is hilarious enough to just get no end of mileage out of it. Oh, God. You know? Oh, like my God, just, I bet. She's oh. just using it like, yeah, thank, well, you know. Wow. Appreciate the shout out, Kev. Were and people mouthing to him from the stage like, your wife, Chris. Yeah, but. Oh, my God. Oh, man, that's priceless. I think he was a double inductee, and and the second time around, he made a point of thanking his wife. The only person he thanked was that's her. That's it. Yeah, Jesus and there my we wife. Go. Uh-huh. But. Oh, man. I a list feel like a list. What do you you'd have to be really it? composed. And that is like step one to yeah, anywhere. Exactly. you got to be like, well, I wouldn't be here without my rock. <laughs> the person who's been there when things get rough and even in the good times. My lovely wife. Mm. So-and-so. You, that's Your oh, beautiful man. children. Oh, You man. gush over your kids a little bit. Maybe next. You, oh, you, yeah. You, Tick those off. If you're not, if you don't have a weird dynamic with your parents, that comes up a lot of times. Yeah. Oh man, my favorite That's to see <laughs> is someone who speaks off the cuff and just is charming and wonderful and gracious. Mm-hmm. My second probably is a list, and the third, the one that I like the least, is someone who has memorized a speech mm. that they've memorized. You can tell that they've memorized it, but they're trying to present it as it's if it's off the cuff. And yes, it's a performance, which I don't care for. I feel like it loses something, but I don't know why. Hmm. Authenticity. I think I would need... Being real in that moment, they're just giving their... Such large amounts of Valium and Xanax to even like get up the stairs and turn around and... Face the cameras. And look at, you know... Anthony Hopkins. intense. (laughs) Anthony Hopkins. The bright lights. (laughs) Intense. You're wearing Avion skin cream tonight, Kate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chris, what about you, Dan? Today. So when you go to accept the award for the song? Exactly. For <laughs> Vax to the Future? You guys will be first. Maybe we should go up and accept it on her behalf because she couldn't make it. One of those things. How disappointing are those, right? Oh. Like, oh, Michael Jackson couldn't be here because fuck yeah. this award show. So but here's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm his agent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then... Chris, did you end up saying how you take compliments or how that might have evolved over time? Probably not. 
I don't know how I take compliments. I feel like I, I like for people to have a big picture of what exactly it is that I'm offering. So, for instance, in telling when you guys were like, "Hey, it sounded like you were downplaying your song. It's good, you know. Why don't? Why weren't you upselling it?" And I, my central sometimes tone is truth. I want you to understand this wasn't a contest. It wasn't select. Like I, I would much rather you understand context. But within that context, usually I won't send something into some place or share it if I'm not feeling good about it. So, um, if someone, if I, if someone gives me a compliment, give me a compliment, anything, love your shirt, whatever. Right. My, your hair looks lovely tonight. Yeah. And I could say, oh, well, I just got it colored today and you know, there's so much gray in there now. I can, I just don't even know what to do with it. And Mm -hmm. things really change after you have that third baby. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Right. But I... Usually I just say, thanks. That's it. Well, that's that's pretty gracious, I would say. But I do understand the tendency to want to downplay. The only reason, the only part of the self-improvement process of welcoming more goodness into your life and all the self-help books is you have to know how to receive a compliment and be okay with it. Because... Other people, as you said, kind of giving you love, if you keep blocking it and sending it another direction, then you're not receiving it. So if you want more good things to come to you, actually let them come, know how to receive it and know you deserve it. So that's just an ongoing process, I feel like, of being a a woman in the Midwest and sort of growing up with a negative self-image to try and turn that around and even if your head is saying oh well you should see all the gray hairs this is all fake color blah 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 you still your words say thanks yeah i'm, I'm reminded of that uh carpool karaoke episode that paul mccartney did with uh, gordon in uh. liverpool and the what the scene that comes to mind from that at the towards the very end where they've gone to his childhood home mm-hmm and word has gotten around in the neighborhood. Oh. Paul's back. Oh. He's, it's like that, you know. It's, he's Paul fucking McCartney. Yeah. And uh, so there's a crowd by mm-hmm. the time they're ready to leave and go on and see another part of town or whatever. Jeez. And on his way to the car, you s- they take a moment where you see all of these people getting as close as they can and showering him with love. Aww. But saying things like, I played, you know, let it be at my brother's funeral. Mm. One oh, guy, yeah. one guy laid something that heavy on mm. him, and I remember he. It was all he let them have that moment. Uh, you know, part of it, I think, mm. the graciousness of being able to accept love and, and compliments from other people is not fucking ruining it for them yeah. with your insecurity. Letting them, you know, have a nice moment, do something good and generous mm. and loving, and not fucking. For someone who's been dealing with that for 55 years. Right. Since he was a kid, for God's sakes. Yeah. Right. I guess he's learned. Mm-hmm. If I ever win something big and there's thousands of ears on it, B 
because it was hand selected, I will let you guys know. And mm-hmm. I will be wearing a fucking party hat. <laughs> uh, tiara. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You'll be wearing the tiara. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I'll be wearing a tiara. Just like every episode of Solving Everything. <laughs> I wonder if the, there's a connection between being able to give a good compliment, not overdo it, not undersell it, and receive a compliment mm. well. I th- uh, and maybe I think part of being able to receive a compliment appropriately, let's say, is you, you, dependent on the person's level of self-awareness. You know, if you've accepted something or internalized something about yourself, like, yeah, I'm good at this various thing. And when I do it, people praise me. Mm. And uh, this is not the first time. And I'm not going to bumble through this and it's not going to be awkward. I'm going to handle it with some, you know, with some grace because this is what happens. I think know? there's a, I, I think there's a tendency in our little community here that like, which whoever it was, one of us or somebody in the broader Jamly network, somebody writes a song, somebody plays a song. Everybody just goes, that's, that's awesome. That's so fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And often the person who brought it, might be like, oh, come on! It was just a little something. It's mm-hmm. it, when 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 you're the audience, you are gonna shower because that's what mm. brings. That's what gets more of it. Is mm-hmm. that's what someone who puts himself out there, you're gonna shower them with the love. Reinforce the share. Reinforce it, and you don't know the. And then some. And then when you're getting it, though, you might not. You'd be like, oh, come on! You know, really? I think we've all done that. I bet we've all done that. Yeah. Definitely. And it might be a little bit of a stunted maturity sort of reflex of just, uh, I'm not ready for this, you know, much mm-hmm. direct attention and appreciation uh, because I'm struggling with my own self-worth. What a difference, though, <laughs> like with my four-year-old who literally will draw four stick figures, write her letters E, misspell her own name backwards and then give it to me like it's a ready to go you know hang Into at the, the museum loop, yes mm-hmm. i made this for you and mm-hmm. it's like she's waiting for the mm-hmm. shower of love to come in return yeah and what a difference between that and now we're like i made this song mm-hmm. i'm not sure if it's any good Right. Maybe you might not like it, but I only spent three hours on it. So, and the rhythm section, blah, 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 blah. I do put disclaimers like that sometimes on things I've Mm. written if I've recorded them because I'm not confident with my recording skills. I'm more confident with songwriting than I am with recording. Mm -hmm. So, you're not an engineer, right? I'm not a sound sound engineer. engineer. Yeah. But you're right to like, to just maybe snip some of that stuff out might not hurt. I think there's that ten. We've talked about this before about um, songwriters being like little baby birds, mm-hmm. and the most important thing is to keep writing. So if your audience of your friends goes, "eh, mm-hmm. not my favorite," are you going to bring them another song next time? Especially early on. Especially early in a early on, especially like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it relates back to the the experience you had when you first started playing covers. You know, oh, and people weren't really. I can play patience. 
Yeah. I can play. What you, were the other two? You Slever, but I had to kill her. Mm-hmm. What was one more? There's something like maybe All I Want Is You. Something like that. Uh-huh. Power. We got Damn. a three-song set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and those early experiences of like, um, you're doing it wrong. And like, uh-huh. that's not how it goes. And you're like, like, I assure you, that's how it goes. <laughs> I've practiced this a thousand fucking times. Guess I assure you, yeah, this is how it goes. Now, <laughs> if you would just please enjoy it and then clap right. when I'm done. Oh, that was so scarring. <laughs> that was scarring. It is scarring. All the way back to the beginning. This is like the beginning of the whole thing. Yeah. It, yeah. I it, Guitar became a secret fetish that mm. only, not for anybody else, you fuckers. I'm not giving it to anybody. It's only for me. It became so precious. And it just, yeah, I was just so like wounded by that. Just a few attempts of sharing it and getting stepped on and being mm. like, well, fuck that. I'm never doing that again. How long did it take you to get over that then? Oh, not very long, Chris. Only, let's see, 95 or so. And then we started having kids in like 01. So only like 15 or 16 years. No <laughs> A big deal. long fucking time. Yeah, until I met the right people mm-hmm. that were in the right place and all that. And we all found out we were a bunch of secret basement closet musicians that didn't think we were any good. Yeah. That whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No big deal. Like That's 15 so beautiful years though, of pain. Coming together though. Just drilling, penetrating pain. That's all. <laughs> I get it. No biggie. I want to, you want to hear my wound story? Yeah. One of them. My dad, I, he came to visit me in Madison and that sounds I, terrible. I had a CD of little songs. Mm. See, there's another disclaimer, little songs I'd written. So I have to snip that out of songs I'd written. Part and of the process. Okay. I invited him to come see me at a coffee shop mm. and he stayed for like two songs and then left. <sighs> Dude. And then. Without an excuse, like I had dysentery. Later, I found the CD <laughs> I gave him unopened. In his house. Oh, my God, dude. Mm-hmm. So that was my kind of brutal. Weird. Well, That's tip- weird. kind of typical for him. But, I guess. But it does kind of steal you a little bit. Because then you're like, I have to like what I'm doing more than anybody fucking else likes what I'm doing. It sort of builds your critical eye inward of... And Lyle Lovett said that to me, too. Do you remember that story? I I talked to Lyle Lovett after I saw him in concert. Mm -hmm. I waited outside his bus. Stalked him. Weirdo. There was a line of people. It wasn't just me. And he comes out with this, like, 16-year-old girl. He's like, this is my girlfriend, April. I'm like, cool. Hi, April. And I asked him a question. I was making a CD here in town, and I wasn't liking how the production was going. It was going completely in a pop direction and I wanted it to sound like folk music or whatever and his advice was whatever's going on with your producer just make sure you like it your name's on it you're the one that's going to be trying to perform these songs and sell these CDs you like it and that to me was kind of reinforced by that dad episode because it's just like who are you playing for if you're not playing for yourself Mm-hmm. Right? Don't you think? That's where it starts. All the good stuff, I think, in a way. Like, I've had, I've written with people and I've had partners who 
tried to work on projects that captured the zeitgeist of what was going on. And they were these Mm -hmm. calculated sort of premeditated attempts to reach what was happening out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's usually more compelling when you're actually writing from something that's rooted in real experience or like really speaks to you. You can hear that the, the artist is invested, has some personal stake in what's being communicated you know that that business with your dad tom 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 adams that's right wow um that is the that that that's the beginning of the whole pot experiment and all the other shit we've talked about is like things are a lot of fun when you're not afraid of failing right and like it just doesn't even it's not a calculation anymore Mm -hmm. and like tom helped with that good job tom (laughs) <laughs> like, I wonder I whether wonder. you knew it or not, Tom, that's what happened. Right. And like the early band days, just eating our own vomit in front of two people, <laughs> you know, and you'd done that before you had the chops and had taken your lumps before. For the rest of us, that was new. Hmm. Playing like shows where no one came. Yeah. Just the, the, sometimes it wouldn't or, work, but, or at a VFW with old people that were complaining about the kids running around on the floor and that they were going to break their hip and this was bullshit yeah and, you think yeah. you're killing it and people are like turn it down oh or like at the VFW yeah, you guys rock too much or oh. yeah your kids are in our way or something I'm just like what that's the, of all the stuff we expected <laughs> or they're just or they're just talking you know and yeah. and really tuning so I off. says to him I says <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah, that's a good time. Brutal. I think it's we've all got our version of that. that it's that interesting. Helps you. It's a bruise. Shake it off, and just then like, you're like, whatever. Yeah. There's there's a couple different models though. You know, like the 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 talented, sensitive young person who's not recognized by their parental figure. So then it becomes, I'll show you. Mm kind of yeah. Bruce uh-huh. Springsteen story and there's plenty of others. Hmm. Two, three, four. Chris Adams, wherever you get your drive from. But then there's, you know, people like Will Ferrell and a lot of other artists whose parents, you can tell, just modeled like healthy, supportive, yeah, you know, uh, environment that allowed him to flourish without having to navigate all of the fucking insecurity and self-doubt that accompanies the other path where you've got to push past you know not getting enough positive reinforcement when you were developing i have met real life the keep fucking going people who do who do that for their kids one of them used to live next to you guys um amy and her daughter amy walden and her daughter because i remember I, i ran into her she said her daughter wanted to study theater. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And she's like, yeah, she's going for it. And we're behind her mm. 100%. I think she mm-hmm. went to New York or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is so refreshing to hear. Mm-hmm. So Not wonderful. once in that conversation was there, good Lord knows what she'll do with that degree when she's Not done with it. Not even a peep and, of, yeah. right. Theater major? Yeah. How many times did you hear that? Oh, a theater major? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can do a lot with that when you graduate. Mm-hmm. Did you hear a lot of that? A little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the emphasis was always just get some kind of degree. Get a degree. Uh-huh. It'll still 
demonstrate that you're not a fucking flake and that you can finish something. <laughs> oh, that's positive. Well, you know, that was the subtext to me always was yeah. to show that you're responsible enough to do this, this thing that you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and that you know that you're supposed to do. Prove that you can clear that hurdle. When did it become so essential to have a college degree instead of a trade? Okay. I've known you a long time. You have a theater degree? Yeah. Okay. This you didn't know that? This just in. We're guys, though. Yeah, sure. Oh, you don't talk about yeah accomplishments? 2001 or 2? 2000. Your degree? Yeah. When did we meet? Not long after that. 2005, six maybe. Okay, yeah, I guess our kids are a little older. Whatever. That's guys. Preschool, yeah. Hmm. We, I assure you, we've talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Didn't we college. have a theater degree? <laughs> Learning things. Hey, congratulations, college. man. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I did. Good I, on you. I didn't really use it. It was, it was, yeah. But no, it was mainly, they didn't have a singer-songwriter degree. Mm. You know, they had a poetry yeah, degree. Yeah, you gotta go to Berkeley or something for that. Yeah. Well, now we're gonna get in the weeds here. You started out at Drake. Yeah. Drake University. And, and when I... Playing th- basketball. Mm-hmm. And if before I set you loose to run wild and oh, fill right. in the gaps, you were on the list of the best 100, the best whatever basketball players in Iowa. Yeah. And that put you, that put one hand on a rung of a ladder that led somewhere. Right. And started at Drake University playing hoop, hooping it up. Hoop dreams. For the Drake Dragons. Bulldogs. Nice. Unfortunate. They missed opportunity there. They could have been the Drake Dragon. <laughs> and you ended up with a theater degree from the University of Iowa in Iowa City. Okay. Okay. I think I know I think I knew you went to U of I. U of I. I think I knew the Hawkeye stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But yeah. Unbelievable. Didn't know that. Hmm. Do you want to know what my major was? I'll give you one guess. Literature. Social work. Ooh. Close. Liberal arts. Social just literature. liberal arts, <laughs> just plain, just general studies. Couldn't get more general. Yeah. Okay. Now we're gonna take the stakes up a little bit. Do mm. you have a degree? Yeah, a bachelor's. A liberal, just liberal arts. It's liberal arts. Yes. Bachelor you don't degree. have to have. Sweet. She studied bachelor degrees. <laughs> She's got a bachelor's degree. Right. In studying mm. the. I arts. I was gonna do sociology, but then there was a statistics class that I. Just mm. wasn't determined enough to get past. Nemesis. And I did think about social work, but uh, shocking. Not, not my thing. Yeah. There has to be a lot of community organization, and you need to be able to connect people to resources. Mm. And I was like, ah. Uh. Our buddy Jeremy's a social worker. Mm-hmm. That is no easy job. No, that's a pot all by itself. We'll we'll save that for when he's a guest. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. If he can talk about the things he sees and he's does like, daily, yeah, for people. At the moment, he's probably still just losing all his hair from the stress. Mm. So stressful. But one thing that Jeremy does that I admire and I would recommend for any listener out there who may be young and stressed out and wondering how can I fucking manage this. Mm. Jeremy roasts coffee. Jeremy makes his own beer. Jeremy mm. makes stuff. He plays guitar really well. He writes well. songs, plays too. Gu- mm-hmm. Writes songs, writes music, and just... He's listening to this right now being like, oh, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> my coffee's not that big. Yeah. My beer sucks. Uh-huh. 
No, but uh, no, he's super full of himself. He is drinking this in. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's, he rubbing hears his this. nipples to you, Higgins. <laughs> oh, oh, he's rubbing. Yeah, both that's probably yeah. hard. Probably yeah. fast, vigorously. <laughs> vigorously. He'll have to be a guest sometime for sure. I was gonna say I have a trade though, and I finished massage therapy school before I finished my bachelor's. I took a break. I went to Michigan State for a year and a half, and then traveled around a little bit. Moved to Colorado. Went to the Indy 500, right? That was before. Saw then, the dead. Then I went to massage therapy school first, and then I finished my bachelor's degree. Mm. And I was going to say, I wanted to bring oh, that up. Oh, the yoga certifications and no, whatnot. No, That's later in life. That's yoga is way later, like two years ago. Now. Yeah, that's current. Right. Massage was... Way back. Way back. Mm-hmm. But I would argue, and I've talked about this with um, Justin quite a bit, a you tra- want to argue? A trade. I'm ready. No. or Just Getting a trade mm-hmm. might be more important than getting a college degree right out of high school. Oh. These days. Maybe. Because then you have something you can bring with you wherever you want to go. And if you want to travel Europe, you can bring that with you. Mm-hmm. If you want to live in the Caribbean, you bring it with you. Whereas your bachelor's depending on what it is, Mm -hmm. if it's like a license to teach or something like that, that might be different. But a trade, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, that's valuable shit. Electrician or Mm -hmm. massage, whatever. What do you think? That's my, that's my hypothesis. What do you guys think? I think that trade schools are more and more seen as, you know, a more sensible uh, alternative for as the as the price of college has has mm. risen and risen as well. Like the other wild thing about studying trades is that there are apprenticeships in which you're paid right to learn your craft. That's and the they best don't expect way. you to fucking pay to work at something. Until like you for maybe teachers, get such a terrible model. Six months opinion. of That's... student teaching, usually unpaid for teachers, mm-hmm. mm. where you're teaching full time and not getting paid. I I have radical views on this because I guess, mm-hmm. I guess I just feel like, first of all, the university education can be so goddamn impersonal that it's hard to overcome that at big universities. A lot of times, yes, sitting in an enormous ass lecture hall taking the same test everyone else is taking, going through the motions of being of learning that way is so soul crushing or was to me that it felt it felt really meaningless. But if you hmm. have a relationship with somebody who's tutoring you something and your hands are on what you're doing and you're getting compensated for the effort that you're putting towards you're investing towards learning something that's a healthy fucking model to me more so and there's (laughs) i hope that clap is coming through all right because uh yeah amen brother nath it's also changed by how easily you can access any information you want now if you go sit in a lecture hall and you learn, I feel like the value... You don't of, have to go to the place to access you don't that information. Ha- you don't mm-hmm. have to go... You don't have to hear that guy. You have to leave your yeah. couch mm-hmm. to get 
Yeah, look uh, at us now. Shit. But if it's not structured and it's not directed by somebody who knows their shit, then instead of looking at that, you know, quality curriculum, you might watch YouTube videos about cats instead. But what I'm saying is the value that I got from college, liberal arts was fucking great, though, because with the psychology, sociology, history of like african-american history it did give me different perspectives but all of the classes that i valued were like less than 20 people Mm. because there was discussion Discussion. and that to me is the real value in if you're going to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to a school you can hear a lecture online yeah why would you pay to go sit with a hundred other people and hear what you could just read to take notes when they're providing you the notes mm-hmm. on on a, a PDF that's on the course website. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you need to copy that down for it to sink in or whatever, great. But the whole me- just mechanical regurgitate stuff that you've learned and not really, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying in that if you can't travel and broaden your perspective mm-hmm. through that kind of experience. You're going to cultivate a level of empathy and critical thinking by through through your liberal arts education because you're going to be exposed to stuff and challenged in ways that you wouldn't if you were just driving the truck all day long. Or Yeah. And I think having really good teachers or professors, I guess, that wanted that kind of environment for their students. They wanted discussion. They wanted mm. your ideas, not just regurgitating their ideas and what's current in the field. And it's sort of like, what new do you have to offer students to this discussion? Sort of like lighting the fire of the whole, my whole philosophy of education, basically. It was like, you have to just keep that pilot light lit Mm -hmm. of like learning. And then it becomes like a hunger. Think of like Amy Curl, who reads more books than any person I've ever met in my entire life. And she's so, except for you, Dan. JK. So brilliant. So knowledgeable. She probably would have three master's degrees. Have I met her? Who's Amy Curl? She's been at some of the parties in the past. I think I've, yeah. I feel like I've met this person. But never wanted to go the track of the university. Like she just didn't want to go through that. And Mm -hmm. yet this wealth of knowledge and so brilliant and for its own sake for its own sake yeah right exactly i don't know what my point was there but i'm just saying that that's kind of that's the value as opposed to the university model and i hate to say it but i do tell my kids this now i'm say like because if they they're saying oh we got this test coming up um or Ooh. um there's something that they're being taught they're really stressed out about i'm the message to them is It's really important that just like in sports, you work hard, listen to your teacher, try your best. The grades do not matter Mm -hmm. if you do those three things. Mm. Try your best. Listen to your teacher. Try to have fun. And Mm. because I feel like my job as their mom is to keep their pilot light lit Mm -hmm. so that they don't come out of high school so jaded jaded and like, Mm. I have to show my work. Because why? I know how to do it. Why do I have to show you I know how to do it? All that bullshit of going through school. If I can get them through that 
fucking monotony oh, with boy. still being interested in learning. Uh, One of the ways that I think goal. you can sort of, not that I'm in a position of authority to drop dimes like this, but... <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Get ready, listeners. Here's an immodest <laughs> yeah. dad moment. Get your pen and na- notebook yeah. out. Please. Moment of silence here <laughs> as you prepare yourself to absorb this wisdom. But... Uh, no, so my boy started uh, expressing an interest in architecture, and he was able to study it in school, in his high school. Like they had, they had programs. But That's wonderful. Yeah, but also then a way to, you know, architecture in school. Putting it in that school context can sort of destroy the can can blow out the light. Sure can. If it's not taught the right way or the maybe just the curriculum is overwhelming or whatever the thing mm. about that that I know and I feared would be kind of endangered, what I tr- one of the things I tried to do to counter that was drive him to the Shorewood neighborhood in, in Madison mm-hmm. and say, look at this masterpiece, look at that mm-hmm. era. When was that built and, and who built this? And, mm-hmm. and, this and guy. just... Go to the places, do the field trips, mm-hmm. make it personal again, making mm-hmm. it personal, you know, getting out of the, the sterile environment of a classroom might probably be too hard on it. And it's, it's some people's happy place, I'm sure. That's true. Um, and I had some good experiences in classes some conversations. Agreed. Art, yeah. An art history course, I remember, where it's a dark room mm. and this professor who knew everything about the history of art. From the beginning of time, from the cave paintings onward, mm. and he had been over taking his own photos of all these things and just clicked through the th- slideshow mm. and dropped his and, and, and blew your mind with mm. everything that he knew about these, about the sounds amazing about the uh, what's in India the the large dome temple that's a monument to a Taj Mahal the Taj Mahal mm. I remember in Agra. Very good, Dan. Wow. I do a lot of crossword puzzles. Go on. <laughs> but but it was a poignant experience to move from a, a surface appreciation of like, oh, that's an interesting looking structure. It's a famous, iconic building to somebody loved their wife so much who was a powerful person. <laughs> what do they call the kings of that time in the India? The Raj. Perhaps it's the Raj. Lost his wife. His wife would be a Ronnie. What is happening right now? Oh, my Crossword God. puzzles. That's all it takes. Dan's killing Fuck school, it. man. Crossword puzzles. Yeah, you've got your Dan's PhD. Dan's school of crossword puzzling opens <laughs> tomorrow. Six down. Yeah, but <laughs> the when he was describing not just the details of the building itself and this, but the whole backstory about this is a, a monument to grief. Mm-hmm. A man who loved his wife. Wow. You know, that... Wow. That dimension, you know, the the story, the human, you know, drama yeah. that surrounds these buildings and the place and the historical context, all of that stuff. It was so rich that I I never wanted that class to end. Mm. Wow. I, yeah. I would like to go to that class right now. Yeah. My college experience was a tire fire that is still burning. Oh, my God. <laughs> but there were moments, there were moments of... Of sublime. You still smell it. Smell that, folks? Oh, my God. Was there any class that you liked? Well, there were sublime moments in that 
tire mm-hmm. fire experience. <laughs> I leave high school, go to <laughs> UW Eau Claire. Uh, my best friend at the time was going to go with me, and he either didn't get in or now I don't really even know what's true anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, so I the the narrative went from I'm going to Eau Claire with my best friend, and we're going to live together in the dorms, and it's going to be so cool. To like he was gone. And I was just by myself. Uh. There was a couple other people from Portage, but not like my best friends. Um, anyway, wasn't ready. Super immature. Uh, thought I was going to be a teacher. I think I've covered that before. Like, I wouldn't have made it a day as a teacher in, in a, a standard classroom. In a standard like classroom management. Yeah, I would have first. I would have killed everybody first of all <laughs> before the second bell. I would have had my hands around somebody's neck. <laughs> For their impudence and their, I just, I just don't have it for that. I, I think you would have done better than you thought that because you're a male mm-hmm. and you're tall. Mm-hmm. So you could have just turned around to a group of second graders and been like, I said, <laughs> put your scissors True. And, on your desk. And they all would have just like robots. Well, ah, okay, Mr. Higgs. I don't know. I hear that a lot at home, but I'm here to tell you my kids aren't afraid of me. If they were truly afraid. They would be marching. They would be... Show some more goddamn respect. They would pick up after themselves. They would do all these mm. things. No, nothing. Nothing. And I, I make that case at home all the time. Hmm. I'm. So you don't regret not becoming a anyway, teacher? So... Sublime moments in the tire fire. Art history class. Okay. Big auditorium, guy with a clicker, and the guy used the word Trump Floyd, and I'll, I still never forgot it. But what it was is- very similar. This guy had... Tra- him and his wife had lived this, you know, j- basically ongoing junket around wow. the world of seeing beautiful art. Mm. So his, he was, sure, some were stock slides, but a lot of them were his own. Ah. And yeah, same experience, that same experience of this guy, mm. covered with goosebumps, wow. this guy just sharing his love. I, did I pass? I doubt it. Because huh. I probably flunked all the tests, but I, I went, I went to that class. Uh, huh. History professor, Mr. Pond, Ed Pond, a dear friend of mine, Rob O'Keefe, and I took his Greek history class, and my career is a tire fire, but I went to that class. Because the myths were- I would rally up with Rob to go to that class because Mr. Pond was hilarious, engaging, to date myself every class period started with a breakdown of what had occurred since our last meeting in the O.J. Simpson case. Uh So he, that was the first five or 10 minutes every day, maybe more. That's funny. The lunacy and the, to this old guy, he had to be in his 60s, maybe 70, in a room with a bunch of 19, 20-year-old boobs. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then the class was fantastic. Hmm. Uh, All the same things, humor, yeah, and uh, not not a subject that you would have necessarily imagined that you would be brought in, you know, or drawn into. And same as that art guy and your art guy. Mm. Bunch of pictures of him and his wife standing in front of the Acropolis or pretending, oh my God, like pretend, like on the track, like on the Olympic track, mm-hmm. uh, Greek history. Yeah. All that kind of, that stuff made it, it was a, a show I had to see. I couldn't miss it. You know, and uh, the, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
But at Drake, my first year, I had a phenomenal, probably the first time that I ever was able to listen to a theologian talk about the Bible, like somebody who knew it deeply, but also had an academic perspective on it so that it was it was made clear right away that we're not going to interpret these as literal hmm. stories here. We're going to examine these parables, you know, in historical context, and then we're going to talk about the philosophical issues that they raised that are still... wow you know, hmm. that still pertain to our lives now. That is damned exciting stuff. Oh, and it was so good. It was so juicy. And I just, you know, was all ears, all period long for that guy. And, and, but the Bible, I wouldn't have expected, you know, what I guess I must have some. That, what is it that makes a good teacher? Well, does that, do you have to have humor? Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't hurt. I think it's, yeah, boy. Number one. I could buy some time and try to think of a great teacher I had that wasn't a little bit funny, but... I would say I number know, one man. might be you have to be excited about what you're teaching. True. Number two, humor. Have, have, but like to be able... To, one of the things that I remember sort of marveling about with that art history teacher was his command of the subject. Mm. You know, to hear anybody who can really speak with a kind of confident authority on such a wide range of mm. of places periods wow. like i just hadn't been i think really exposed a subject as large as the bible it was just clear that this guy knew it fucking inside and out and 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 could approach it from angles that i'd never been introduced to and it was all mind blowing so having respect for that teacher and 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 having a sense for me what was paramount is this guy knows his shit, or mm-hmm. this person yeah. really knows their shit, and I—they're worth listening to. Hmm. I had a—I had a professor. Um, part of my tire fire is that I took lots of redundant uh, GEs, you know. So once you've knocked out oceanography, that covers your like natural science, sciences or whatever. Yeah. But it was like, no, this professor is hilarious. I have to take geography, uh, mm. geology of the national parks. Mm-hmm. And people are like, but you've already got a GE. What are you doing? Uh, well, this guy's hilarious, though. Ronald Willis is Take all his classes. This guy's a riot. That's right. And it was in a big lecture hall. And he commanded a lecture hall like a fucking comedian. <laughs> and it was appointment. Even a dropout like me showed up for that and <laughs> enjoyed every class. <laughs> with, a, I'm sure, a few exceptions. But uh, another teacher, I had to Google something here real quick. <laughs> I had this English professor. And... So he was the exception. Well, art history guy, big dark auditorium with a clicker, mm-hmm. spellbinding. Just uh, the drama of the dark auditorium and the and the one slide. Yeah, there's and a guy and a guy with command. You know, great yeah. command. And then this hilarious guy, Ronald Willis. I'm sure he's dead by now, but if you're listening. Uh, but then the rest of these these stories, these anecdotes, are in small classrooms. Mr. Pond was a small classroom. Uh, there was a, another, uh, another, uh, oh, ge- I guess it was a geography class, but it was more like cultures. It was a South American, Central American, uh, cultures class. And what was that guy's name? He was a very petite little man <laughs> with like wire rim glasses and a little mustache. And he spoke in a very distinct way. <laughs> and, 
very quiet and unassuming, of course. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a, he's not exactly like a rock star. Yeah. Um, the class was, I don't know how anyone passed. I'm sure I didn't. Oh, what the fuck was his name? But because the exam would be like four single space typed pages of like facts about all the Central American countries all rolled into one. Hmm. Like, dude. Uh, major export of Guatemala is, uh, you know, coffee or just something like memorization. That. So I don't even know how I did. I honestly don't know how I did. Hmm. But he was funny and he was engaging. And whether I retained any of it at all, immaterial. Because yeah. he would say things like, because he would like, uh, spring break is coming up. And if any of you take a trip on spring break to a Central American country, I'll give you one point <laughs> toward your final grade. Just, you know, deadpan, teacher yeah. humor. But he was so he was, he lovable. Was, he was such a lovable guy. <laughs> yeah, keeping it a little playful, keeping it a little light. That's yeah. a night, To have a light touch with your authority, I think, is hmm. uh, young people, especially college-age people who are bristling, Already and like wanting to be their own person so desperately, they don't right. want to be fucking talked to like kitties. Mm-hmm. And there's a line that I think a successful teacher to that demographic can walk between like, "Hey, I I can relate to you all on some level. Uh-huh. I'm still in command. I'm not up my own ass so far that you know I can't laugh a little bit or we can't look at the lighter side of something, but." But seriously, now shut up and uh, (laughs) let's do this thing. (laughs) So I had this other professor in a... American literature class, it, and it covered, I, I know it was uh, Civil War period, because, uh, what was his name? His first name was Tim, Tim something or other, but if you want to see a room full of people shrink into themselves, he, he had, I mean, of course, this guy had been teaching for years he knew this is exactly what was going to happen he rolls into class one day and tells and decides that we're going to sing uh civil war era songs like that soldiers would sing and you want to see a bunch of people try to be invisible and (laughs) blush and like hide under their chair zip themselves into their sweatshirt and this guy that was kind of formative too. This guy just gave zero fucks at all, mm. and and uh, this one song. Talk about the way you remember stuff. It was called "Just Before the Battle, Mother." Oh my god! So here's here's kind of how he went about it. He would just be like, "And a two, and a three, <laughs> just before the battle, mother, I am thinking most of you, while upon the fields we're watching with the enemy in view." Okay, everybody got it. Okay, from the top, everybody. Two, three, four. Just before the battle. And no, everyone is just dying. Nobody can. Hmm. 
And I was, I'm just as guilty. I was not a performer at that time well, by any stretch. That's, if you were to ask professors. Oh my God. They would probably. Unforgettable. <laughs> they would probably tell you that it's not their job to entertain students. That there is a line between education and entertainment. But I would argue that just like it's not the priest's job traditionally to entertain, but it's more about providing that spiritual service. Mm. And But it's all performance on some level. Mm-hmm. If you're up in front of a crowd, you know, trying to convey a message and keep people's attention, you're performing. So some performers are more gifted than others. Yeah. They just are. There's a there's a skill to to being able to deliver that deliver, you know, uh in mm. an engaging way. There's certainly more than one way to do it. But I, I gotta keep going with this. You 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 uh hit me right between the eyes. Uh the college experience was a dumpster fire and I rattled around after college and finally uh found my calling in tech school at Gateway Tech down in Racine and Kenosha. The prestigious. Prestigious <laughs> Gateway Technical College uh, where I attained an associate's degree, mm-hmm. an AAS, <laughs> an associate of applied science. That's right, civil engineering. Uh, the teacher in that course, though. So, like, I come stumbling out of college. I'm working odd jobs. I realize I got to do something. Tail between the legs a little bit at this oh, point? Oh, jeez. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Tail up your own ass. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Dark. Um, Lori has a degree at this time. Lori has her double bachelor in uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. Mm-hmm. And she's well on her way to her first job at Abbott Labs in North Chicago. So she's got a direction. And she wanted this. Like, once she decided school was important, she fucking killed it mm-hmm. and graduated with honors, got a job right out of school, but still hung and out got us you. out of Eau Claire. Okay, got you out of Eau yeah, Claire. Yeah, and still kept me around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm working odd jobs. I, I left Eau Claire, had a great restaurant job at the Camaraderie for many years. Of course. And you learn really fast that, like, restaurant jobs are only fun when the it's... You're all of the same like generation and click, of course. And you're all friends. When you just walk into a restaurant as a stranger and work there, it's brutal because they're a click. And you're so anyway. I did that. I I was a furniture mover for a while. I think I've talked about that before. Uh, I worked at a car lot, uh, taking the plastic out of the cars when they come off the truck. Fun and like moving them around. So if it's truck week or whatever, you move all the trucks up to the front. Blah blah blah. Anyway, I'm doing all these kind of odd jobs, and I get a postcard in the mail from Gateway Tech that's like, check four boxes of programs you're interested in and get some information. And I checked like HVAC, uh, diesel mechanic, uh, civil engineering was one of them. Maybe it was three, whatever. And that's how it started. Like, just this, I got to do something. Like, Mm -hmm. there's more in this life for you than moving furniture and... You're uh, capable of more than this. Moving cars around. Like, you got to do something. And you got to make some money. God damn it. You've got yeah. this beautiful fiance, soon to be mm-hmm. wife. Time to buckle down. Who's killing it? So, yeah. So, I go to Gateway Tech, and in this program, 
there was, I don't know, a core of about eight, ten people, I'll say. And there was additional people in some of the classes, but there was about ten of us that took all the stuff kind of together. And it was taught by basically most of the classes were one guy, one old guy, Robert Kelly, an old, even then, this is like 97, 98, even then the guy was old, but he worked in industry. He worked in all different engineering fields, uh, steel fabrication. He, he had a, a toe in everything had done everything, including surveying, uh, and taught all these classes. And a lot of times it was just him telling stories. Like we we could go work whole, experience. Kind we could of go stories? a whole day without cracking the book, or it would just be where we opened it up to, three hours later, after lunch, like just tell stories. But and they were they were related to the field that you were studying. Oh, absolutely. Fit, so you always. Were, uh, sometimes he just bullshitted too. Learning through anecdotes. He loved so. sports, so he liked to talk about the Badgers a lot. Okay. And uh, he liked to ridicule people who wore like other sure. uh, enemy apparel. You know, there was plenty of that. <laughs> um, enemy apparel. That but yeah, like a clothing company name. Small group. A lot of like partner up and do this exercise. You know. All taught by basically this one guy. There was a couple other teachers in there because I had some like math classes I was missing and stuff like that. But this guy was, and then he leads us through the program mm-hmm. for two years or whatever. And I mean, I I can't speak for everybody, but I think we all had jobs when we came out. He yeah. he funneled us into internships, and then he funneled us into full time jobs. He he basically told me I need to move to Madison for this job. He's like, I've talked to these people. Uh, I've sent lots of graduates to them. And he's like, they've got an opening in Madison. I know you're from up that way. You, sh- you should get out of here. You should get back closer to home. Like that, that kind of, uh, what do you call Orchestration, that? I guess, really. That, that yeah. orchest- that, uh, but pater- paternal, parental kind of like hey man guidance you need to get why don't you get back closer to home they've got an office in madison that's growing and was that msa no this was a place called grafe anhalt and schlamer now it's just called grafe usa but um yeah that to that degree of like of steering steering you not overbearing but i mean and this is the it worked it worked uh, and getting getting an interview on his recommendation meant something. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you can't go in there and fuck this up. This guy has sent dozens and dozens of people just like me through this program, and yeah, I came out of there with a job, and mm-hmm. and I have ran into him subsequently at the surveyors uh, convention. Mm-hmm. Hasn't changed a bit, just a little bit older. Uh, and then. This might be the end. Uh, and then I, after I'd been working. How fucking crazy are surveyor conventions really quickly? Oh, let me it's out you. of hand, does it? Well, matter? we just had it this year. It's always the last three days of January, the last three like weekdays of January. Mm-hmm. And it's always at Kalahari. And this year it was on Zoom. So it was 
It worked out though. I mean, it was Coke and hookers on Zoom is just not the same. Yeah, though, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I worked for a while from '99 to like '04. Uh, got laid off by Gray Van Halt Schlamer. Got hired at MSA. Was doing CAD. I like the I like the story that you've told once though. If I could stop you for a second, when Dan got laid off, his response to it was not complacency and thinking. Well, I've already got my ass degree, my AAS degree. <laughs> I'll just find another gig somewhere. He was like, I'd better. I'd better replenish the toolbox. Yeah. So, exactly. so you, so you went out and you got further. Uh, what would so you I got hired it? at MSA, and that was a, that's a fun uh, experience too. Like that job hunt when you have, we just bought it, we just closed on our house. Oh, you got laid off just after you closed in your house. And my boss told me. Ugh. He told me. I hope Lori was pregnant too at the time. Well. No. Okay. No, that, wait a minute. 99 to 02. Yeah, the twins weren't born yet and they were not a thing yet. But he did, in some fashion, I found out that they purposely waited until I closed to let me go so that it didn't queer the deal, which was a, that's, if you're going to fire somebody or lay them off or whatever, that's a pretty stand up way to go about it. That, don't do it right when he's about to sign the papers. Sign the papers. Let's get that milestone well, cleared. Well, maybe if they had told you ahead of time. No, nothing was going to... I mean, I, I think it was... I stand by it. I like what they did. Hmm. That's a... You think they handled that well, but... I do. But it was a cause for some reflection, right? Like when you get let go from a place, uh, yeah. it's hard not to hmm. have a moment, oh, even, if you've, even if you feel like... No, it's memory lane with Danny. It's I not, remember... It's not, it's not my fault... But maybe there's something I can do mm. to keep this from happening again. That was uh, it, it. Happened a little bit later, but it oh, did happen. Like how you become invaluable. You, how do you so, become necessary? So I leave that. I remember getting let go. I handled it with great dignity and grace. I cried like a baby. <laughs> uh, I was twenty. Whatever. How long had you been there before they fired your ass? Ninety-nine. Oh, two. Uh, three years. Okay. I started June 1 of 99 and got clipped in like June or July. <laughs> July of 02. Closed on our house on July 9th, so I got run shortly after that. Uh, and I remember pulling over right before I got home, just like a block from home. And I call my parents, who are both on the phone, and I'm fucking blubbering. And I am just like, Aww, I cannot compose myself. That is you know? just so sweet. Yeah, and I talked to my folks, and my dad, you know, they both were just like... Dick Hicks. Like a death, you know. They were like, oh, that's terrible, you know. Um, but I remember that Dick said, you're going to be fine. You have moxie. Ah. You'll figure something out. Wow. Beautiful. And Beautiful. what a moment. There's a dad moment there. Beautiful. That's huge. Beautiful. Oh, my God. Not trying to solve it for that- you. Just, you'll you'll... Giving you it that out. vote of confidence, like oh yep, my God, you're down, but good. you're not out, baby. That's good, daddy. Yeah, and th- through the phone, good just daddy. took all the air out of that balloon. Just, ah. just chill the fuck out. And then I went home and had to tell Lori, and it was hard and all that. Okay, so, but you were like, "Don't worry, baby. I got Moxie for days. I got Moxie." <laughs> um, 
So when you get laid off in that situation, the job hunt is an obsession. It was beautiful mind type stuff. Like strings across a graph on your basement. Papers all over the walls with <laughs> strings between them. And mm. I had pages. I think Classified I still had ads at P, that point. P and jars. Probably like 20 pages of a legal pad with hmm. the plan, the leads. Who have I called? Who yeah. has called me back? Interview scheduled, all that stuff. Six weeks. I went to an interview that I really didn't think I would get the job at MSA. Um, I knew the CAD platform, but I had never worked in roads yet. Uh-huh. I had The first job was all buildings. Taking architectural plans that Oliver Nath draws <laughs> and then turning those into structural plans foundation plans, uh, column schedules and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't think I was going to get it, but I hit it off with these guys in the interview really well. And they handed me some benefit information. Another performance. An inter- Boy, talk about a performance for your fucking life. Right. You need a right, job. And, right. yeah. mm-hmm. and any jo- well, every job interview is a performance. Uh, yeah. So they hand me some benefit information and they, Mike Stotts goes, why don't we take a walk around the office? And I go, whoa, am I being hired here? And that story, they told that story when I left. So hmm. that was a good moment. So great interview. The last, I never expected to get that job. But I walked out of there like, fucking hey, I'm hired. Like, hmm. I can relax. I am employed again. Hallelujah. So it took six weeks. Hmm. Uh, I worked there for a while, drawing highway plans, bridge plans, Started doing right-of-way plats. Oh, yeah. See where this is going? That led to some surveying, uh, the underpinnings of surveying. Uh, and that is when I had to refresh the toolbox and be like, you know, you got laid off once doing CAD. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. And I, you know, you kind of, I'm sure I, I was being overcritical of myself. Like, well, they can just find someone younger, like right out of school to do this. Six here? Probably so, not, probably, but whatever. No. no. Good luck. But, <laughs> but that's that was the rationale, and I went and told Mike Stotts about that. And uh, he's like, Dan, come on. No. You, you'll have work here forever. Don't worry. And I was like, no, I want to do this. And first I thought I was going to get an engineering degree. And he was like, I, I I was gonna take a calculus class. He's like, What are you doing that for? Well, because I want to get an engineering degree and you know, I never took calculus in high school. And he's like, Dan, I've done this for years and I've never used calculus a single day, but I use route surveying every single day. And that's how that started. And that simple as that. Like I it knew I a- had to do something. I had the, the inertia was building up and I was thought I was gonna go and get an engineering degree. Why did you, what was your motivation? To never get laid off again. To be indispensable. To be unfireable. Because of money or because of like. Because I never wanted to feel that way ever again. I never wanted to have my pants pulled down like that <laughs> ever again. Yeah. It's pro pants. I can't help but bring up, since we're always weaving sports huh. into stuff, the money ball scene when they talk about trading people. When Brad Pitt is expressing his philosophy on, like, look. I finally saw that, so please, go on. Give him the respect, enough respect to just not beat around the bush. Mm. 
you know, the Band-Aid sort of analogy, but just tell them they're traded and then a high road sort of classy line about we appreciate what you've given the organization, but just get it out there and, and give it to them straight. And mm-hmm. uh, Jonah Hill is like, we're trading you or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, he probably bumbled through it and did something comical, but it was like a, it was... No, he took the advice. Uh, yeah. I mean, he took Brad Pitt's advice. I remember that. It's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe I shouldn't have referenced it since I can barely remember it. But uh, there is something, I think, to be said. Obviously, you were, you were wounded by it, mm-hmm. but like... Uh, this is another question. How well do you receive bad news in terms of how well do you receive compliments mm. or accept compliments? Oh, my. Maybe we could pivot there. Yeah. But a lot of it depends on how it's delivered, right? If, you know, your ability to process things is connected to the way you receive the message. And if someone respects you enough to not fucking, you know drag it out and try and protect your feelings so much that you're like, what are you trying to say? I can take it. Just tell me. Yeah. Yeah. I can take it. Just tell me. Um, it's, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the early relationships a little bit, right? When you didn't want to be romantically connected with somebody, but mm. you, but, but telling them that and breaking up with them is fucking excruciating. Because, that is some, you know, epic beating around the bush. Yeah, there there's where you Days, <laughs> weeks of beating around the bush. Do you guys have any good stories about dumping people and how you did it badly or or do you think you did it well? Time out or get dumped. Well, so I went back to school at METC yeah. for survey specific curriculum cuz to get a surveying license you need 16 credits, blah 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 blah. The point is, it was another setting where it was a single teacher with oceans of experience and was funny and demanding and engaging and demanding and kind of an asshole sometimes. Uh, We had some online courses that was just a lot of writing and he like black boxed it. He wouldn't like help you. If you wanted help, you had to email him or go through the little portal. He would, you couldn't be like, Hey, I called him coach. Fix this for me. I got a question about this uh, assignment. He would just be like, who are you? Like, I, what are you talking about? We don't do that here. You do that in the portal. He was very, very demanding, but he did it with a, a wink and good humor. But by God, you were going to work. You were going to turn in work. So anyway, that's what led to the whole surveying thing and the splendor that my life is now. <laughs> and okay. now, handling... Bad news. Right. Where were we there? Yeah. You already kind of revealed that you turned into a blubbering mess. Oh, God. I'd call your parents. Not that's my fault. <laughs> no. No, that's sweet, actually. And it, it, that was a good Dick Higgs story. That's, I, yeah. I agree with Adams in that that yeah. can be, you know, there's a real profound difference between the parent that says, well, What are you going to do now? <laughs> or, well, not just that, but. I'm going to come in and and ah. you're going to be okay because I've got your back versus you're going to be okay because you've got Moxie. Yeah. And you'll figure this out. You've got this. You know, that's that's sweet. That's the right way. Yeah, don't you touch know? me. 
but but I <laughs> just come on. I I just touched Dan's arm and and now I'm rubbing it a little bit. I was just trying to think. I don't. I feel like I haven't received that much bad news. You haven't been dumped, Chris. You're a parent for God's sakes. I've You've, been dumped. You have children. Yeah, let's talk about that's the, a fucking bad news machine right there. Hmm. But relationships yeah, early. Let let's talk about the formative ones, like getting dumped. How did you handle it? Okay, let me think about it. Too personal. That's fine. I, no, I'm gonna think like I'll think of a good example. Dan, did you get have you sh- got a hot take about that? Like the bad news thing. <sighs> yeah, I remember the first time I fell in love, mm. and I thought, you know, oh my God, love is a wondrous thing. It was lift us up where eagles fly on a mountain high. You know, I, I was, I, but then I fell out of love with this person and they were going off to college and I still had another year of high school. Mm. She oh my wa- gosh. She wanted to do distance. And I was like, you know what? I think. I'm one of the top hundred basketball players <laughs> in Iowa. So. <laughs> I think, I think we're done here. It's not you. It's me. You know, there was a lot of that kind of just. Not you, it's me. Not really being able to to express and be real enough about like, for instance, beautiful as this young lady was with her Russian accent, she wasn't very funny. You can't say to someone that they're not funny. You cannot. There's no. no tactful way to say it. But if they're not... And that's important to you. You have to be vague. Something's not working. I don't mm. exactly know what, but you have to hint at no, just being it's dissatisfied. You it's can't me. be specific about what it is that's disappointing you. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> Ooh. You can't. But it was. Uh, it was. You know, those are learning experiences. And like, why did you fall in love up with this person instead of just becoming disillusioned with love altogether? Like. All right, she had parts of the package, mm. but not the whole package that you were mm. interesting after. What? Why didn't it last? And oh yeah, she wasn't funny. And when she tried to be, it was awkward. So how did you let her down then? Well, the distance did a lot of the work. Um. Once she went off to college, sweet, sweet <laughs> distance. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think the worst breakup where I was dumped, oh, there was two bad ones, but probably the worst one, I couldn't let go. So I was psycho girlfriend for a while Mm. and driving past his house and because we were living together Mm. and with a bunch of other people. This was like a house where people were coming in and out all the time. We built a ply, not we, a plywood wall so we could get more people in the house. Oh, my God. Up to code. And then a couple was living in one room at one point. So we had like six people because one was on the couch and I had a room. They had a room. And How then there was pets? the plywood room. Wow. My mom's arms are folded right now. <laughs> <laughs> she, is, she is slowly nodding. No. Yeah. No. no. It, so that was that house. But wow. I dated the guy, one of the guys that he and I were like the longest running tenants there. And I remember it was like, 200 bucks a month rent for Mm. each person so cheap when you look back Mm -hmm. and he professed love then became addicted to cocaine Mm. and then was like pawning his stereo and stuff and sort of bad news kind of guy 
while we were living together and in love, he became like downhill trajectory cocaine guy. Like Dave Chappelle crackhead guy. I don't uh, know Dave Chappelle the guy crackhead that's always guy. Itching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of transforming before my eyes into someone that was hard to recognize. Mm. So I remember I said like this wow. isn't good. I want to say this is disgust like I said something pretty insulting like this is disgusting, you know, quit it. What are you like 20? Who are you becoming? 1920? Yeah. Wow. Nin- 19. And then so he dumped me cuz he's like, "Well, I don't want to stop doing coke." So <laughs> <laughs> That's so he right. dumped me but then we were still living together oh, so he would Talk bring women awkward. back to oh, his yeah. room oh, and like my God. fuck them in the house that I was still living at it was bad Brutal. Brutal. so then obviously I moved out and but I couldn't like I was so invested in who he was before the downhill trajectory as it is with addicts. Sometimes it's like, you know who the potential of who they are. And so driving past his house a lot, kind of obsessed a little bit. And then until one day, you know, it just wore off. Hmm. Were you, were you in a mindset of like you, I mean, geez, at 19, 20 years old, I, it's hard to imagine. Uh, were you like, I can help him. I can fix him kind of thing. Maybe I would, there's a little this bit, is a, phase. a little bit of this might be a phase. Oh God. Though, but that's then hard to watch. He started hanging out with some like legit criminals. Like this mm. guy, I remember got arrested for breaking into our neighbor's safe and like was really scary. The people were not, the people coming around were not good people. And so, but he would also kind of lead me on a little bit. You guys know that fish song, if I could, I would, but I don't know how. He would like write down the lyrics to that and like give it to me. So it's sort of like, I'm dumping you, but I still really care about you. That kind of mixed messaging thing mm-hmm. that was sort of hard to There's still a chance. navigate. Yeah, there's still a good guy in there. I can see him. He's trying to come out, but you know, his actions don't always support what his words are saying, hmm. that kind of thing. So, yeah, when I I was definitely sort of clinging in the hopes that, oh, he's going to turn something around. But then clearly he wasn't going to. And then when I started hanging out with a different group of friends entirely, good people, you know, that were like going to class and had jobs. Engaged in life that wasn't so seedy. Right. And then we'd go to like Telluride Bluegrass Festival and go see some shows and so it was kind of like oh okay like i can see there's an avenue out of this that life still can feels, be like this too yeah. yeah it still feels good without the seediness that was happening mm. so i'm trying to think though how he delivered that so i didn't receive that bad news very well i received it by clinging with every last breath mm. to the situation that was not really that good for me but like, I mean, he was breaking up with you. Right. Okay. Because he was like, I choose Coke. Not you. Mm-hmm. But like when I got the news that my dad was dying in that, I wanted like every detail, you know, like, what do you mean? He's like, give me every single detail. What time did he go to the ER? Why did he go to the ER? Who found him? Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like trying to get control over an uncontrollable situation. Mm. 
is sometimes I think when big bad news comes, that's my go-to. Oh. Is like, I need to know that's what we're talking about. everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, bad news. That's what, Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't need to know any of this, but I need to know all of it. All of it. Tell me everything. This yeah. changes nothing, but at least I will feel like I have some command over part of it is i think because i'm a little visual so i need to like see the storyline in my head to understand how he arrived where he's at Mm -hmm. and it just helps me to know the backstory and to know who the players are and so i can see the whole setup when your emotions are so out of control with like grief and surprise and not knowing what's going on. Mm. It's sort of like, give me something that I feel like I can at least have some pillars of solid ground to kind of. You both have seen parents decline Mm -hmm. and pass. So I would ask this, uh, how, if you're comfortable talking on that subject, mm-hmm. how much of your ability to process were and you just cheersing me, or were you cheersing your dad? That's how you get the last little bit of. Oh, it looks like you went like this, can. like lifting a glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was doing. To Dick Higgs. <laughs> to Tom Adams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to Dick. To Dick. To Tom and Dick at the big bar in the sky. Dick and Tom. Dick and Tom. But how much? does the way that they essentially handle their own transition Hmm. into the afterlife then face their own mortality, how much does that affect your ability then to process it and deal with it? Like if they're at relative peace with it, does that transfer over to you and make it easier for you? Uh, You're right, dude. None of your business. (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, I am lucky. How old were you when your dad? This was kicked nine years ago. Oh, not that long ago. No, I guess not like college. I was 30. Hmm. What am I now? 47, Hmm. 38. Okay. I would say I'm, I feel very fortunate that. I got my dad for as long as I did. Hmm. He was he was an old parent when you were young. He was old, yeah. Yeah, That's he was nice. 40 when they adopted me. Uh so older guy. Um I was lucky to have him as long as I did. If you make it to 45 or so and you still have your parents, you're killing it. Um right. so hmm. I'm glad like a good friend of mine uh, lost his dad. A couple of my friends lost their dads in college. Oh. And another friend lost his mom in college. Oh, that's hard. And that is just uh. indescribable, like, grief chaos. Yeah. That is, you're not even a person yet. Mm-hmm. Too much. It was devastating to see. Mm. And and I was, it wasn't even, like, my problem, but it was just like, why I could, I still can't wrap my head around that. Right. Having if I would have lost a parent at that tender hmm. stage. So very fortunate to, that he made it that long. Uh, shout out to mom. She's 80. She's 84 or five now. Hmm. Still kicking. Doing great. Hey, mom. So to have the framework inside myself 
to hand to to deal with it when it came, you know, and uh, that was know. you're talking Maybe about the work that guy. you the work that you were able to do because you were able to mature to a certain age. But I was asking more about like yes, Dick's yes attitude towards it coming to bear on the way that you yeah that was more of a comment on you felt you needed control and stuff yeah and i was just the opposite like whatever the doctor just said i already uh, forgot because it doesn't matter yeah he's, he's in decline mm. and whether it was right at the beginning or right at the end it's just like and that kind of bugs my mom to a point hmm. i just don't care i'm not fixing it huh just tell me what's going on and i will adapt and i will react Dick's journey to death, though, uh, of all the glowing compliments I could shower on him as a man, his finest hour might have been the way he went out. Was he religious? Yeah. Dick and Mary, very devout Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, he converted for her. Wow. She was not. She sent the ring back hmm. when he was in Korea. What does that mean? She sent the ring back. She sent the ring back to him. Because he wasn't Catholic? No, thanks. He got a Dear John letter from her. Because he wasn't Catholic? I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if, I don't think so. But did Dick Higgs give up? Wait a minute. He proposed from Korea? I think he gave her a ring before he left. Oh, okay. Mm. But I know that story is part of the, the fabric, is that she sent the ring back. Not because he wasn't Catholic or anything. Wow. But whatever. He became Catholic. He grew up without any sort of religion, really. Hmm. And Uncommon for those days. He wasn't going to marry her without turning Catholic first. But anyway. Wow. Uh, from the first minor stroke to the bitter end, I never heard him. He never complained. He never... Zero self-pity. I mean, more than anything, he was kind of checked out towards the end. He was pretty, fairly oblivious, really, which was hard to watch, too. Sure. Um, But that was, I'm glad you brought that up. Hmm. You talk about how you're remembered. How did you go out? And he went out with class. Mm -hmm. Mm. He went out with grace. We've talked about grace before. Never heard him complain. One of the things that I remember you saying hmm. as as his passing was approaching, it was imminent, you know, you were sort of processing it, and, and you said multiple times, like, you know, whenever he whenever he goes, you know, the time, I, I accept that, you know, it's pretty much time, and we're good. Yeah. Hmm. He and I understand each other. And this we was have an understanding. When he had his good, first minor you know. stroke. The next time I saw him, I told him that. And my mom was Aww. furious. My mom was furious. Why? Because you can't say things like that to him. He needs hope. He needs she was clinging to just wanting oh, him to sure. be around for as long as possible. And as his son, I was unbearable. like, you don't understand. Hmm. The first, the only thing I need to say to him from here on out is, we're good. That's amazing. We're good. And I, that's a and huge, thank you. I remember you were huge you know, privilege to be able to do that. Wow. You know, cause a lot of people might not have the, we're good with dad. Yeah. But I honestly, I love you. Thank you. We're good. Huh? And yeah, said that 
as soon as he had a stroke and said it plenty of times after that. And hmm. he just took a while, but he quietly declined and eventually, eventually passed. Wow. Yeah. That's really, really nice. Yeah. And you hmm. know what? I'm not sad. Hmm. Do you believe in an afterlife? Uh, eh, not really. Unclear. Should we not do so a much. seance live on pod someday? <laughs> we, could. we could. But that's another another gift I was given in the whole we're good thing. It's like there's no skeletons. There's no harboring. And there's only good memories. Mm-hmm. Only good thoughts. And yeah, we did. my mom and dad did lots of fucking harebrained stuff to us growing up in the 70s and 80s. Um, but where it matters, where it counts. That is such, what a gift. You were all able so, to forgive each other and like, and ended on a, on a appreciative note. Like, yeah. However much I let you down or you let me down, like you, you, you you love me well and i you know that seemed to be the overriding message like yeah I, and I, I say that to people now when uh their parents are dying cuz i have one under my belt and i'll say it to you when mm-hmm. your folks die what will is, you say is that i don't miss my dad at all oh cuz i think about him every single day mhm and it's always positive hmm. sayings and mhm habits and just it's just there all the time. There is no missing anybody. It's it's just he's still very present in it's your just memory. all the time. Intense. Every yeah, saying he's had a billion trillion sayings for how, everything. How how present would you say hmm. by comparison wow. your That's so moving. Hmm. Hey, thanks, man. Uh-huh. How present would you say Lucky, you're, very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I know you've got a different relationship with your dad, but how present would you say he is? In your day to day, and the missing of him or not missing him, that sort of. Mm, uh, it kind of creeps up on me every once in a while. Um, nine years ago. I miss more the relationship he could have had. My dad became kind of a different person as he aged. He was. He gave up on himself in a lot of ways and. He was over 400 pounds when he died. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Really unhealthy guy. Yeah, that's given up. He gave <laughs> up. It through in the towel. Yeah, thoroughly. <laughs> oh, so, no. So I was thinking about what you were asking him and how, like, he was in denial to the bitter end, which is kind of how he lived, maybe, like, the last five years of his life. So... And he was an atheist. So I don't know what he came to terms with at the end. But like in the last week of his life, it became clear. He went into the hospital not thinking he was going to die. And then he knew that he wasn't going to make it out of the hospital and he was going to die within a few days. So it was like, you need to get used to this idea really quick. Hmm. And I don't think he changed his viewpoint. He wasn't one to talk about it. He didn't call for the chaplain or anything. No. Oh, my God. No. What took him out? If he called for the chaplain, he would tell like a Jesus joke just to dig it into the Catholic (laughs) one more time, you know. Mm -hmm. What would you say? What took him out? 
Um, he had kidney failure. Mm. Okay. He had had cancer, and then he treated it, but then he just didn't follow up mm-hmm. on okay. treatments and stuff. But um, so I don't know whether he was at peace when he died because it was he mm. had like a slow decline because he didn't take care of himself, and then his mother died, and then his wife died within six months of each other, and then he died like four months after that. So my grandmother, then my stepmother, then my dad, like all in the same year. Mm. And he, (coughs) I think he was an atheist at the time of his death. I did not say any of those relevant things like I forgive you, I love you, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But my sister and I did hold his hand and I felt comforted because because of my belief system that I don't think energy dies. I think it just changes Mm. form. So when... I just think the spirit essentially leaves the body and travels onward someplace else. Mm-hmm. So I felt at Prove peace. It. Yeah. Just kidding. I felt at peace with that. I don't know if he felt peace because he was terrified uh, when he first realized that things were really? not going to get better in the hospital. But the last few moments were graceful. And I credit it to hospice, actually, because they let us know what was going on and mm-hmm. what to expect. And when we could just kind of be with him and watch him die and like uh that part of it was peaceful because my sister and I then were kind of in it together but when I think about him now it's more in relation to sports like if something happens or some extravagant news story you know like anything that happened with Trump that was so over the top Mm. I'd be like I wonder what my dad would have to say about this because he always would have either a hardcore legal take. Like I remember him being against gay marriage because he was like, if you change the law to accept that it's not just a man and a woman, then people are going to take it to the extreme. If you, it's a slippery slope. Once you change it so that it can be a man and a man or a woman and a woman, people are going to start this is my dad, and I apologize. They're going to start wanting to marry their dogs. They're going to start wanting to marry, you know, the bird that they keep in a cage or the squirrel that comes into their yard. Or mm-hmm. like he was more concerned about legal precedent rather than what's the ethics behind. He didn't necessarily personally care, like if gay people got married. No. It, it was the, the legal, the framework of the thing. Uh huh. Like, yeah, and so that people are dumb. If there's, I don't know how he would. Uh, I don't know how he couldn't have <laughs> said that a human marrying a human can be a legal precedent. Like that's fine. It's not going to mm. be a slippery slope into people marrying Bestiality, right? Dolphins or something. But that was sort of his thinking. So mm. when ethical things come up, I think about him. Mm. I th- and like with the mask thing, because he was so concerned about privacy and like your right to privacy as a human person and what can the government dictate and what can the government not t- dictate, even if it's in the larger scope of public health, do they have a right, for instance, to mandate vaccines? He would have been a hell of a podcast guest. Yeah, but his own, like, he kind of kept himself out of it. It was more, this is what happens if you make that choice legally. These are the steps you would then have to be aware of down the line. So I think about him with that, and I think about him, like, when the Packers win. 
a game. Or like, when they oh, I kind of wish I could like talk to him, but hmm. not too often. And the relationship for my kids, you know, that he could know his grandchildren would be nice. But not I so think about it more in like the person he used to be before he lost his physicality. Hmm. That was long-winded. Sorry, guys. No, no, that's good. It's good. My dad just had bypass surgery and a valve, so heart surgery essentially, multiple things being addressed in his heart, uh, and is still recovering from that. And that that's was, big news, dude. Yeah, that was a moment before going into that surgery where we kind of had, to, or at least I felt compelled to have a "we're good, yeah" sort mm. of oh, wow. moment, a boy. because yeah. You don't. There's no guarantees that people always pull through a, a procedure like that. And 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 if it hadn't been caught in the time that it was caught and and fixed, it's there's a very good chance that I wouldn't have had a chance to have that conversation maybe at all. But Did I don't you like go in for something else, and they said, "Whoa, oh, Roger. just uh, just went in because he was, you know, feeling reporting symptoms of." you know, poor oxygen flow through his body because his fucking heart was malfunctioning. He didn't know the extent of what the... Do you know how old so, he is? My dad's like 73-ish, right around there. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so, but even before that, I feel like I've sort of gotten to a point with him where for a long time, you know, drama's been put to rest. and mm-hmm. And... There's an understanding, you know, that there are topics that we don't really get into that much, politics and whatnot, that would just be a recipe for conflict or disappointment or whatever, and and we keep it on, you know, well-established lanes of mm. overlapping interest or whatever, and 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 it's good. The you things know. that you describe with your dad reminds me of someone who I worked at um, Oregon High School for a while in special ed. And there was a teacher there, the art teacher, Gwen, who has this, by the way, amazing barn art space mm. down there in Oregon. Nice. Yeah. And Can she's, we jam there? She's a cool, probably. She's a super mm. cool person. And she, during the time I knew her, her father was dying. And she knew that my contentious kind of complicated relationship with my dad. And she was like, he is the only father you will ever have. And it is a hundred percent in your best interest to put as much resentment and anger as you can to the side and just try to enjoy whatever it is that you can with him because one day he's going to be gone. And so when you talk about your dad and sort of like whatever resentments or anger you could hold Actually, the two of you, there's mm. so much that you could hold on to and be like, oh, he didn't do this or he did that or this, that, this. It's sort of like I've seen the two of you sort of just appreciate the relationship when you just come to a person just trying to enjoy their company, you know, the only dad you're going to have and open hearted sort of exchanges i think Mm -hmm. part of that process what's important is you know examining the line between not making excuses for someone but putting them in context Mm. in the way that they were raised the time that they were raised it's kind of like my dad being uh 
something of a partially recovered bigot, but probably not completely reformed, if I'm being honest. One of those things that we don't talk about that much. <laughs> hmm. Misogyny. Yeah. A lot of those attitudes and things that were just in the fabric of the place that he was raised and the time that he was raised that I could hold against him hmm. and just feel like I don't want to identify with this this person because they're not evolved enough to really relate to my perspective mm. and and what do we have in common whoa. you know whoa, whoa, whoa. these kind of questions um you know what else it involves too a certain level of acceptance for your own choices because if you're hung up on i've mm. identified this in my own life if you're hung up on my life's not the way i want it to be because you son know, of a bitch because my dad left my concert after two songs he never believed in me. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any positive reinforcement. That's why I never could believe in myself. You know what I mean? If you're blaming mm-hmm. backwards to your past. Perfectly repurposed story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're... You could do that. You have to self-accept a little bit with that. in order to forgive whoever they were as you were coming up, even no matter how damaged it made you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like some self-acceptance, I feel like fosters being able to accept your parents mm-hmm. for whoever they are at any given moment. Being a, becoming a parent yourself, at g- gaining an appreciation for how difficult a job is in any era mm-hmm. to do well. Yes. I, I come, this is a point that I come back to a lot. Like it's the easiest thing in the world to bitch about the president and the governor and all these people <laughs> that have their heads up their asses in charge and your boss, the jackass. Can you believe what this guy did last <laughs> week? And, you know, go, I'm, go, I, go. I'm really good at doing that. Meanwhile, too. what have you ever been in charge of? <laughs> you know, what have you ever done that gives you real standing to point out and bitch and blame and you know so i got a little bit of that beaten out of me just and by the humbling experience of having to discipline my own children in a loving but you know not abusive uh difficult 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 yeah so i started cutting slack probably around then a bit more but but then also just the to the point of this is who i've got this is my family if i can't make peace with these people Mm -hmm. you know then how much peace am i going to have in the other relationships that i try and maintain or establish or manage like this is the foundation this is these are my roots and i gotta i want to tend to these to a degree you know are we are we all familiar with Bill Burr here? Yeah, enough to know like he has a podcast and everything. Right. One of my one of my favorite uh, hot takes of his is uh, he, of course, as a comedian, uh, to say he's in the public eye is you know ridiculous. He's lives in public. He's in the Mandalorian. He's nice <clears throat> on the. On the topic of people uh, saying things on Twitter and then like getting canceled or whatever, or the backlash that comes from it. Right. 
when uh, he was super mad, uh, maybe for comedic effect, whatever, when the Duck Dynasty guy, like the old guy on Duck oh, Dynasty. God. I've never watched an episode of Duck Dynasty. Okay. But that we know what years Duck ago. Dynasty is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beard guys, the ZZ Top looking guys. That guy said something about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And Twitter went bonkers. And he was mad at Twitter world. Because he was like, what the fuck did you think that guy was going to say about gay marriage? What did you think an 80-year-old guy from Arkansas was going to say about gay marriage? Did you think, did you think for a second he was going to have a super evolved mm-hmm. take? The guy has lived in the mountains mm-hmm. and gone to the same church that he was born in for his whole life. Like, what did you think that guy was going to say? Get over it. Like, yeah. Your dad's got some takes that you don't agree with. You guys aren't ever going to see eye to eye on some things. Right. That kind of change takes a long time. You know what? I- and like we have the benefit of being raised in this accepting. You know, I was my life started in the non-accepting. Pool. And then I made my way into an accepting world where I learned all these things. I have a question after you. you know, I can hear you talking. Well, just, what'd you expect that guy to say? Yeah. Like, get over it. And 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 this change that guy. I think this. There comes a point when you stop struggling to, to, to expect something else from your parents, where you get old enough and you realize, okay, this is this is who they are, and this is who they're going to be. Without any active self development and therapy, that's who they will remain. (laughs) Right, right. That's right. Because you know, my dad would probably rather have all of his teeth removed without any <laughs> Novocaine than go to therapy. You know, there's something like, um, but plausible, yes. but, but, but that was, that was a, uh-huh. um, epiphany for me. I remember and a great burden off my shoulders as a young man when I realized, Oh, you've got to, you've got to give up this idea that, you know, he could be someone else. He could become someone different mm. or be more the kind of person that you want him to be. This is, this is who he is. And, and, and after you, after you come to terms with that, I think it's related to what you're saying. Then we have the same struggle with ourselves to some degree, right? That tension that exists within probably all of us to some degree of, all right, this is who I am. Fuck, but I wish I was more that, this or the mm. other. Mm-hmm. But then, who do you reserve your anger for? It, because everyone is just doing the best they can. Oh, I don't know about that. Mm. Is everyone? Not everyone is redeemable or has redeemable traits or qualities. Really, but I don't know if that's. Some, That's true. If you, you can look really bigotry hard. and sexism mm. and misogyny, because it's just how they grew up and it's what they were taught, and they're not doing any self development. And like, if you can forgive that because it's personal and that relationship matters to you, why can't it extend to the larger population? Well, I think here's the thing. It's not that I reserved my anger towards him. There were years when I raged against him and Mm -hmm. we had many a battle. Mm. But when I saw that it was fucking sheer futility, that is when 
I I gravitated towards the acceptance, acceptance and learning how to how to steer, you know, what boundaries to place around conversation mm. and activity so that we stayed in a positive place. But if you can drop righteous anger personally, why do we have to hold on to it for leadership? political leaders mm. do we just expect more out of them than we do out of our own families go ahead the other half of that what did you think that guy was going to say coin for me was what if my dad died when i was 16 then you'd have something to be really pissed about the well-adjusted dude that you see here would not <laughs> exist <laughs> That would have that would have been like a a bomb going off in, the rug inside my head. Totally pulled out. Yeah. When we were at our worst, when I hated every goddamn rule mm. and every reason for every rule, I hated everything. I hated the whole, the whole thing. It's all gotta go. Mm. When I was powerless to change it, when I lived under this oppression of this Catholic household in the in the eighties and nineties. Easy for me to say all these things now because I made it out and we got to have our we're good because I had that perspective. And, and, and to, I'm, I'm glad, yeah. fortunate. I'm just, I'm, it really would have fucked me up bad, I think. Part of the problem with, with the way you set that up, I think, is who do you reserve your anger for mm -hmm. if you forgive everybody? Well, it wasn't just a matter of me saying, you know what? I've taken inventory of everything, and even though there's still a lot of problems, like Jesus, I forgive you. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. What what also helped facilitate that was he did change to some degree. He did recognize that like I've got to put some effort into this. Ah. You know, so much of, He met you somewhere then. Absolutely. There were a number mm. of things that he did that signaled to me. I, 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 you're worth That's different. a special kind of attention and effort. And I see how I was too busy in mm -hmm. the past, or maybe just, just didn't, didn't try to understand you because you were such a different kid than what maybe I expected for a son, Uh huh. you know, but here we are. And I, I still recognize that you're mine and I see that this is what you're into. And my go-to story is when he flew me out to Seattle to see him when he was living out there for a little while mm -hmm. and he bought tickets to see a jazz singer in a jazz club mm. last fucking place on earth that that guy wants to go and be <laughs> ever mm -hmm. but he knew that i'd dig it that's a huge effort so it's 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 actions like that that facilitate and allow you to cut somebody some slack on the ways that they're still not getting it right please pardon me while i play out to fly enthusiasm aimed at your indifference scan the floor for one tap and do a bobbin here any signal coming back on the same man for rick and frequency wavelength how's reception connection don't flip the dial that's your performance is commercial free is commercial free 
Only thing for sale up here is me and my me. seat You're free to catch up on old times at the top of your lungs Gotta make and I can turn it up but I can't turn you down Gotta make what I need to do to put a point and click Point click, flip around, fold it more appreciation oh. from the crowd participation Would it be too much entirely to expect a little respect? Would it be too much entirely? What if what they say is true? Less is more, more is what I'm telling you 